651-939-4513. That is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We're going to preview LSU today. So we are going to hear from Gordy Rush, sideline reporter for the Tigers, in a few minutes. He will go over the layout of the land of all the LSU prospects that will be heard throughout the course of the draft and will be selected by various teams. So we'll get into that and we'll get to your phone calls on a variety of different topics as we are finally closing in a week and a half away, Paul, from the NFL draft. It seems as if we've been previewing this for months upon months and we're finally knocking on the door. Yeah, it's incredible, Lance, because for a while it looked as though the calendar was crawling along <laughs> and now it suddenly seems to be going yeah. at a sprint's pace as we get down into the final two weeks of the season. We're, we're almost done with our schools and our previews that has been sensational and we certainly thank everyone who's participated in terms of our scouting previews uh but yeah here we are and you know let's rock and roll absolutely and uh, lsu has a number of prospects to go over so it'll be very interesting to get gordy rush's perspective on some of these players darius geis is obviously the one that comes to mind the most mm -hmm. paul he's the highly rated prospect the running back has dealt with injuries over the last few years but you know we talk so much about how the running back position has a great deal of of depth, and this is one of those guys that's very well in the mix right behind Saquon Barkley. Yeah, there's no question. When you look at the running back class, you see Barkley at the top. He's separate from everybody else. Then in that second group, Geis is in there. Michelle is in there. You could probably throw another two or three guys in there because there's a very small space between that second group of running backs and that third group of running backs. You could almost cluster them together in one huge meatloaf. Not a huge disparity. But there's a clear separation with with Barkley. He is the guy who could, supposedly could be fitted for the yellow jacket, who could be a future Hall of Famer. Who knows how many of the other guys in the meatloaf will break out of that pack? Could could Penny be that guy? Maybe. Who knows? But the bottom line is, uh, Geis is certainly one of those guys you want to keep an eye on. Ronald Jones is another guy no from question. USC. There's a number of prospects that are going to be in the mix at the running back position that teams can go after if they miss out on Saquon Barkley. All right, as we mentioned, we're going to be previewing LSU prospects today. Without further ado, we now welcome in former LSU defensive back. He's now the Tigers radio sideline reporter, and that is Gordy Rush. Gordy, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino with here, Giants.com, Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate the time. How's everything? Hey, doing fine, guys. Thanks, Gordy. Well, a number of players to get to who have suited up for LSU over the last few seasons, and obviously we want to start, Gordy, with Darius Geis, their top prospect, the running back, somebody that took over for Leonard Fournette. I guess the big question with him is he's dealt with some injuries over the last two seasons. The sample size this past year is not very large as a result of the injuries. How much stock do you put in what he did this year versus what you saw in 2016? Oh, very little. I've had a chance to see his whole career. He played high school ball right here in Baton Rouge. And he, here's what happened. Uh, they had uh, second-to-last scrimmage in Tiger Stadium before the start of the season. And for some unknown reason, and they were coming out on their own two-yard line, and he jumped over a defender and uh, hurt his knee and was never 100%. And the problem was is that LSU had two backs this year, Darrell Williams, who's uh, going to get drafted, probably a third-day guy. Right. He was also injured. And so what happened, both of them had to play hurt. And, you know, LSU ran into some bumps. So they got blown at, out at Mississippi State. That was unexpected. And so the guys really was never 100%. I think the closest he got to being 100 was against Ole Miss, which obviously he set the school rushing record. And I'll tell you, he set the school rushing record, and he won 100%. But he's a three-down back. He's a great kid in the locker room, great attitude. Um, you know, I think he's a first-round talent. You know, whether or not somebody goes up to trade him or somebody has a need at the bottom of the round like Detroit or Pittsburgh or he falls in New York at that early second-round pick, he's whoever gets him is getting a fantastic talent and a fantastic kid. Now, I'm assuming physically there are no limitations for him as he goes into the draft or certainly going into training camp. But I, I got to think there's something he's going to still need to improve on, whether it's pass protection, whether it's trusting uh, the blockers that he's going to be using or, fight, or fighting behind. Uh, there's got to be some stuff he will need to, to do in the NFL that he hasn't necessarily done at LSU. What would those things be? Well, I think the first thing he's got to, to learn to do is I think that if you go back and look at the 2016 film, I, I think that he runs reckless. He, he's like a, a you know one of those bouncing balls and uh, bowling balls. And I think one of the things that he's got to learn in the league, he's going to have to get out of bounds at some point, or he's going to have a short yeah. NFL career. 
I, I think LSU was just – look, LSU is not a dynamic passing team. They haven't been for quite some time since uh, Beckham and, and Jarvis Landry and Zach Menberger were on the field together in 2013. And, and so I, I think that he's very capable in the pass game and in pass protection. Um, it's just one of those things he's going to have to grow into it a little bit. On third down this season because of some of the injuries and because he was the bell cow back, he was subbed off a lot for Daryl Williams, who, who I think is a better pass protection guy than Geis. I don't think he's subpar in that department. I just thought that Daryl Williams was a little bit better. I know, Gordy, Geis also was used as a kickoff returner. How appealing is his special teams play, and how much do you think that will translate over to the NFL? You know, I, I think that he's fantastic on kickoff returns. And again, um, once Hornet wins to the league this year, and with his injuries, they didn't want to hit, expose him in the kickoff game. So he didn't do a whole lot. But, you know, again, you go back the first two years here, he had some fabulous kickoff returns uh, his first two years. So I do think he's uh, capable of participating on kickoff return. Let me ask you about Williams because uh... – a lot's been talked about with Geis, and I appreciate you giving us a, a little bit more of a complete picture. But Williams, with only six starts, and as you said, a guy who was sharing the load there, not a lot of people know about what he could bring to the table. Where is his upside? You're suggesting he'll be a third-day guy, and I think a lot of people agree with you. But if his upside is really that good and maybe it's untapped, somebody could be getting a steal. Yeah, I think people, that, the way the NFL is now with running backs by committee, he catches the football, uh, you know, very well. Against Ole Miss, who was, they were terrible on defense, he had 100 yards rushing and 100 yards receiving. He was uh, one of the first in SEC history. I, you know, he set a record with that, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't have it in front of me. Uh, he's about 228. I think he's effective in short, short yardage sets. Uh, he's a hybrid guy. You can use him as a fullback a little bit, and he's dynamic as a, a pass receiver. So I, I think if you're looking to add somebody that's going to stick on your roster and play special teams, I think Darrell Williams has good value. You mentioned that LSU has been a running team since Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, and Zach Menenberger left Gordy. You got three offensive linemen that are in the mix mm -hmm. or at least have finished up their careers at LSU. If you could you know, break down what you thought of the LSU offensive line this season and how much was that a reason why the running backs had success or versus the running backs really having to create on their own? No, no, I thought they had success because of this offensive line, and, and they were beat up a lot. Let's start with Carl Malone's son, K.J. Malone, who is a, uh, an athletic left tackle. I don't think he's a, a dynamic left tackle. He's a guy that I think that has a chance to make a roster. Uh, you know, I think the question is, is how passionate is he for football? And, and that's been a question I think he's, he's made it known afterwards. I, I believe that he wants to, to be a, uh, like an FBI agent or something like that. But <laughs> he was a nice college left tackle and ha has good feet. Now, I think um, – uh, the, the negative is a little light and, and got pushed around a little, a little bit by some bull rushers. So how does that translate to the NFL? So I think that's a little bit of a question mark. I think the diamond in the rough is Will Clapp at center. He's one of those guys that reminds me of Todd McCool, who stuck and played at LSU and then played for the Falcons for 13 years. The measurables are not going to jump off the chart. The... Um, uh, you know, not an incredible athlete, but uh, very smart as a center. A field general type guy is going to get you lined up and, and all that good stuff. Um, and and uh, as a grinder. And I think that he's the type of guy that if he, most people have him maybe going, you know, the late second day, early third day, he's got a chance to stick on an NFL roster because he comes with a high football IQ. So I'm interested to see what happens with, with Clapp. And on the other side, Toby Weathersby, the good thing uh, is a guy that does have all the measurables, been banged up a little bit in his career, has an upside, and just didn't reach that potential at LSU because they, at LSU's had some good linemen there, and he's been injured a little bit. But, uh, you know, a guy that's definitely intriguing enough to bring him to camp and see if he can get him to play his potential. You know, it reminds me, LSU's had a couple of guys like that. Joe Barksdale's a guy that really didn't have a great career at LSU. Right. But yeah. wound up getting to the league, and uh, you know, last uh, you know, has wound up starting and has had probably a seven, eight year career. Uh, 
athletic, 6'5", you know, passes the get-off-the-bus test. And, and so interesting prospects are on the O-line. Is part of the reason that LSU guys seem to do well, is it because of the style of coaching? I know it's a great conference. Let's not kid ourselves. We know how powerful the SEC is. But is it the coaching in the program that uh, that makes these guys a little more pro-ready than maybe some other programs might? I think I think it, ha- it helps that LSU has been a pro offense for years, and, and so you get a pro running, you know, a pro, a, right. a line scheme. It's not, um, not not to knock them, but it's not one of these spread offenses where it's simplified. Oh, go right ahead and knock them. I, I don't care for them either. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think that it does translate a little bit better. I, I think the biggest thing everybody wants to talk about the SEC, and I'm not going to get in the SEC, ACC, Big Twelve. But my my impression. Uh, what makes the SEC as successful as they have is the bigs. Not not only that they're big, but the athleticism of the offensive and defensive linemen in this conference. Everybody has size, but right. it's the athleticism. And Weathers being Malone definitely fit in that category. Uh, sticking with the offense, D.J. Chark, to me, is a second-day pick. Um, uh, unless my notes are wrong, I have him down as a one-year starter, also able to return punts. Now, I know he's a little slight in terms of his physical frame and his strength and, and all of that stuff, but obviously he's done enough to where he's caught a lot of scouts' eyes despite only starting for a year. Well, he's got unbelievable speed. You know, what do you yeah. want to combine? 4-3? And, and so he's a straight-line runner, and, and because LSU's not been so dynamic in the passing game, and, uh, you know, truthfully, they, they've, some, some receivers have, have underachieved in this program since Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. Uh, you know, Chark is 6'3". He can go get the football. He's, he was dynamic as a punt return guy. I think that in order to him to, to be a, a starting receiver in the NFL, he's going to have to get better at running the whole route tree. Right now, it's mostly, you know, his success has been on vertical routes and, and getting the ball in the reverse of the jet sweep game. So it depends what you want to use him for. I think in three wide receiver sets, if you want to put him as an X and put him out wide, and, and let's go to some of the people that are doing the RPOs in the league, like the Los Angeles Rams. He'd be beautiful to go put it on the sideline and tell him go get it. Um, so I, I think that he's got a willingness to learn. Um, he spent a year. Jerry Sullivan came in as a uh, – he's now the passing game coordinator at the, the right age of 73. He's uh, <laughs> he's still coaching him, and he's been, been in the league forever. But Jerry was there as a consultant or an analyst this year. And I, I think they had a lot of success, you know, with Jerry, uh, made some strides with him. I, I think he's worth, uh, for a second-day pick, he's worth an investment that he's going to play teams for you. He's a great kid, um, and he's got speed that you can't teach. If right. you get him in the program and work with him to be a better route runner, I, I think you'll have yourself a starting receiver in two or three years. Talking with Gordy Rush, former LSU defensive back, Tigers radio sideline reporter. The other wide receiver of note is Russell Gage, and he doesn't necessarily have the same type of size as Chark, but everything I read and see about Gage Gordy talks volumes about his hustle, his ability to play special teams, and do all of the little things that maybe don't always show up in the box score. How much of a role do you think he could play in the NFL? Well, I think again, it depends. Where does he fit? I, I like him. I like him in the slot on a three and four wide receiver set. He's got deceiving speed. A lot of his success this year, past year, uh, they had what he had with Matt Canada, who was the offensive coordinator for a year, ran a lot of jet sweeps. I mean, Russell had two huge jet sweeps that were fifty yards plus. One against uh, Auburn, once against uh, against Florida. Um, uh, you know, again, I, I think is an, he's an overachiever. He's the type of guy that'll stick on a roster because he'll do everything that you ask for him. I don't see him, in my opinion, as a starting receiver in this league. Right. But he can come play in third and four down sets, uh, three and, or other three and four wide sets for you, and is definitely worth drafting. I mean, he's he's great. Uh, I mean, all hustle, and uh, I, I want to say was elected by his team as he and Daryl Williams were two of the. MVPs of this team because of their performance this year. Now you've got two corners who are certainly going to be in the mix, and it's funny because uh, they're they're kind of like uh, flip sides of the coin. Uh, I'm looking at Dante Jackson, who is uh, on the shorter side but faster, 
And then I'm looking at Kevin Tolliver, who's a little bit taller, a little bigger, but maybe not quite as fast. So what do you like about those guys' potential coming to the league? Well, here's what I like about Dante Jackson. He has unbelievable speed. I think uh, sporadic at times in his technique um, and falls asleep sometimes during some of the games. But when he's on, he's on. And he's got elite speed. I, I really like him fitting right away as a nickelback because um, – uh, in, in Dave Aranda's scheme, and even when Kevin Steele had him for a year, uh, they sent him on a lot of blitz packages, and you like him on a slot. I think the downside is he is a little light. You wonder how he's going to handle and, and run support and getting him to play at a high level consistent-wise. But I think because of that speed, he's worth a pick because you wind up being your nickel guy, nickel cover guy right away. Uh, Kevin Tolliver guy's five-star talent he's not it's not as if he's slow he's a 4-4 guy in my book when he wants it's about when he wants to play and and being dialed in and and making a commitment to being the best he had off the field you know some off the field issues where he missed time and, and uh, i mean this guy looks he gets off the bus he looks the part i mean he looks like a patrick peterson type corner he never did reach his potential at lsu whether or not he turns the light comes on in the nfl when he gets into camp we shall see. But uh, he was a five-star talent. He was a, he was a bigger talent coming out of high school than Dante Jackson. You know what's funny? I, I put down in my notes when I looked at some clips on him, possibly a better safety than a corner. What do you think? Well, could, could, you know, could play safety. But, you know, what you worry about there is, is he's going to make the you know, safety the quarterback of your defense. I mean, he's got yeah. range, absolutely. He's a great target for a free safety. But, but again, is he going to make a commitment – and you're saying, hey, Gordy, would you trust Kevin Tolliver to run your defense? Yeah. And from the body of work it's seen at LSU, I'm not there yet. Okay. You mentioned there were some off-the-field issues and maybe motivation issues, Gordy. Then how much is coaching going to play a key role with Tolliver, meaning having the right guy in place to get him to tap into his true potential? You know, I think that the coaching is always a big part. And, and – and in getting into the head, and you know, you look at Tyron Matthew. I mean, Tyron Matthew, fabulous talent at LSU. Obviously, was kicked off the team. It was the right situation in Arizona, putting him around, around the right support group, uh, mainly Patrick Peterson, that that turned Tyron Matthew's career and his life around. And, and so, what, what I'll tell you is that if somebody can get in the Kevin Tolliver's head and get him to reach his potential. You've got a you've got an NFL starter uh, on your hands in, in the making. I, I think Dante's got some limitations, in my opinion. Tolliver's the one that has more upside, but can can, can you get it out of him? Gordy, just based on my notes, see what what I'm thinking with him. If I had him in the pro scheme. I use him in a three safety sub package, and he might sure. be the guy who lines up man to man on the tight end. Okay, he could, well, look, and he'll hit you, too. Yeah, I mean, I mean he's physical. Support. Yeah. He is, he's versatile, fantastic athlete. Um, you know, I, it's just about it, it. Yeah. You know, last year, last year he didn't start because they, they have a kid, Greedy Williams, that, that uh, I think is going to be a third-year player, and they put Dante Jackson out there. And Greedy Williams was more consistent. Greedy's turned out to be a pretty good player. So, um, you know, it, it, it's it, he's got the ability – it's about getting the light to come on. Yeah. Talking with former LSU defensive back Gordy Rush, now the Tigers' sideline reporter. Gordy, last player of note for me is their edge rusher, and that is Arden Key. And I know there were some injury issues that he had to deal with. There were some personal reasons that kept him off the field last spring. So as a result, obviously his production went down. How much is that a concern, and can he tap back into his production from years past? Uh, it, it, look, look, this is Kevin Tolliver times two, guys. I mean, Arden, Arden, Key, Arden Key, when he wants to play, is as good as it gets off the edge. And this is somebody that saw three years of Miles Garrett. He's a little bit, he's he's more of a speed rusher off the edge. He's got moves. And when he's on, he's unbelievable. When he decides that he'll take plays off. And then here's what happened this year he had the shoulder injury. And if you guys remember the Great White Hope, the movie when uh, was it Damon Wayans was the boxer? Right. Yep. You recall when he took the? You remember when he took the robe off and he had a gut? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Oh, boy. oh yeah. no! So Arden showed up. Arden showed up at fall camp first practice, and he was plus thirty. 
Wow. And there was no way of dressing it up, but he played at 235, Oh, boy. And, and so, you know, look, so last year you can throw away the tape. There were some games that he played. You want to go look at Arden Key at his best? Go get the Citrus Bowl when LSU played Louisville, and he's running Lamar Jackson down every which way. I mean, he was at his absolute best in that football game. He's a first-round talent. What, you know, can, can you – you got to really feel comfortable with him, his situation, and, and, and get him to play at a high level. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens with, with the NFL teams to get a chance and, and to, uh, you know, I'm sure this is a guy you spend a lot of time with. You want to sit sit down with his family, understand the situation. He was a late flip for LSU. Uh, Ed Ogeron went in there in Atlanta and got him. And and again for for two years when he was on. He was lights out. And this year, he, he had to play his way into shape. He had injuries. He was banged up. His timing was off. His move, you know, he missed the whole spring and came into a part of fall camp. And you saw a couple of glimpses against Alabama. There were some times that he played in the second half of the season. But, but uh, you know, by and large, uh, a disappointing last year here at LSU for Arden King. It is, and, and you know, I, I, I think what my notes have here is that he had a shoulder and a knee when you referred to those injuries earlier. Right. Uh, do you suspect that he's fully recovered going into the summertime? Yeah. Well, yeah, he, and I know he didn't run. His, he didn't, his 40s, he didn't, his, uh, his 40s were not good at no. LSU's, uh, LSU's pro day. However, his, his quickness was, was and his, his drills were really impressive. And I think that's what you'll see. He's a freak athlete. Right. Uh, and and uh, uh, probably a little bit more solid. You know, Marquise Mingo was a guy at LSU. People, he wore, they wore the same number. But I thought that Key was a little bit more of a dynamic rusher than Mingo. And Mingo, of course, went so early to Cleveland and had a, you know, has had, hasn't lived up to his, his draft stop. Um, so for, for Key, for me, I, you know, I – you really got to feel comfortable with the person. He's a first-round talent that's probably going to wind up in the second or third round. Yeah, Gordy, how much versatility does he have where you could play him perhaps as a 3-4 edge linebacker versus a 4-3 defensive end? No, no, absolutely. He, you know, and Dave Aranda, and that, that was part of the interesting thing, that Dave Aranda plays more 3-4 than he does 4-3. And so when Dave, they've had him for two years, they've moved him around a lot and, and used him in space a little bit. And, uh, and and did some uh, zone blitzes and really effective. When you, know, you think about it, he's able to drop off, pick up a, a crossing receiver or, or, or get it back in space. I remember somebody ran a wheel route on it once, and he was all the way 35 yards down the field. Tremendous athlete. I'll tell you something, Gordy. He's one of those guys who certainly would be terrific for Betcher's scheme. But as you said, there are a lot of other things in that folder, whether it's yeah. medical or personnel stuff that uh, teams are going to have to get past because if he was just a video game player, you'd <laughs> want to plug him into your video game lineup for sure. I don't think there's any question about that. I like him as a 3-4 well, outside linebacker. To, to, me, here, to, to me, it's I think the physical. It's, it's, the, it's the mental. Yeah. It's, yeah. Are you going to commit and play every play? He's got to do a better job of playing the one more consistently. And, and, and that's just the, you know, the idea that you don't take plays off when you get to the NFL. And, and who's going to get the best out of them? And, you know, I think the, the, the red flag that I put up there is that Get Ogeron personally recruited him, got him down here, and was his personal coach for a year. And, and uh, of course, Ed wound up getting head coaching job down here. And, I mean, last year was a disaster for, for, for Keith from, you know, from the shoulder injury, from – it's one thing to go rehab your shoulder injury. It's another thing to go rehab your shoulder injury and come back 35 pounds heavier. <laughs> and, and yeah. you know, for, for, for your money year in the league. And, and so, um, you know, again, somebody's got to – I would have deep, deep conversations with him, his family, everything around him. i got to be 100% comfortable and what I'm dealing with. Yeah. Well, that's why he and Kevin Toller will be two interesting players to monitor as the draft plays out. Well, that is Gordy Rush, former LSU defensive back. He's now the Tigers radio sideline reporter. Gordy, greatly appreciate the time and insight. Great stuff. Thanks so much. Okay, guys. Thanks, care. Gordy. All right, so that is Gordy Rush breaking down the LSU prospects. We're going to open up the phone lines at 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. And I want to make it clear, this is one of the reasons why we bring on these folks who can tell us so much more than just what you read about these prospects because – 
you know, I can watch as many cut-ups as I want to watch, and I can tell you, oh, boy, Tolliver looks like he could be a cover safety in a sub-package, okay? But the cut-ups don't tell you about his attitude off the field, okay? It's not going to tell you about his personnel file. Now, you can read things in the draft guides, and we all do that, but it's great when we can talk to these guys who have covered the team and who are there in the trenches with the and team. been around them, yeah. And they can say, hey, you know what? This is, this is going to be a yellow flag. Okay, it may not be a red flag, but it's a yellow flag, and it's stuff that's going to have to be checked into. And we say all the time that the medical and the personnel stuff are things that you know you can't you can't a know everything that's in there. You might know some things because it's come out in public, but you're you're not going to know everything in those two files, and you're never going to know how strongly a particular team in the NFL is going to weigh those files compared to the tape you know I love to say believe what you see the tape doesn't lie I love to use those phrases that stuff is all true but when you're drafting a guy to play in the National Football League that's only one of the files that he's got because he's got two other chapters in his file or two other files if you will one's the personnel stuff and and or personal stuff however you want to phrase it your, your choice and the other one's the medical stuff and you have to consider all of that. But every team weighs those things differently. And there's Correct. a lot of teams that say we like his talent, we like his upside, and we believe we have a support system in place, Paul, that will enable him to thrive. So they're willing to roll the dice. Now, what we know over the last two drafts that the Giants have put tremendous emphasis is not taking on those, those risks. On, yes, yeah. they used to. Yeah. Okay, Jerry Reese and Mark Ross, when they were running the draft – they were much more willing to roll the dice, just go off the tape, and those other folders didn't carry as much weight. And John Mara admitted that when he said, we've taken too many risks, we've reached on too many guys. You know, the athleticism may have been there, the skill set may have been there, but the whole package wasn't complete. And so John Mara put the mandate down a couple of years ago and said, that's got to change. We got to stop taking some of these risks, and we got to take guys who are more complete. They've done that in the last two drafts. Well, guess what? Dave Gettleman's now the general manager. I suspect he's going to be more in line with that train of thought, but, but he also, because of his track record in Carolina and then previously with the Giants, perhaps he may be given a little more leeway. I don't know the answer to that. Anything's possible. Yeah. None of us do. I mean, if you look back at the Carolina selections, not a lot of risks that jump out they to me. They really I mean, weren't. The only thing I'll say is, and this to me wasn't necessarily a risk because of personality, Shaq Thompson was sort of viewed as a tweener, if you remember, Paul. People were uncertain where he was going to play. Great football player, great but, athlete, but, but it, where's the spot? Is he a safety? Is he a linebacker? Yeah. And, I mean, listen, he's been a very productive player well, in Carolina. People so. thought that about McCaffrey, too. Yeah, that's They true. weren't sure exactly what's he going to be, a tool, a jack-of-all-trades? Is he a running back? Turns out he's a weapon. <laughs> yeah, and that's why it's all about, you know, how you utilize a player and the support system that you have in place. But, you know, it's interesting when Gordy was talking about Key and Tolliver and he said they're first-round talents, but they come with those yellow flags that you talk yes. about. Randy Gregory, who the Cowboys took, wow. if you remember, first-round talent. There now, are a lot of yellow flags around here. Correct. He dropped to them, but you roll the dice, and then obviously you got to deal with suspensions. I mean, the player that, to me, comes to mind with the Giants when you're talking about past drafts, Marvin Austin, first-round talent based on what happened in North Carolina, and then because of some of the issues. I'll give you the one above all above all guys, DeMontre Moore. That's fair. DeMontre yeah. Moore destroyed people when he was in college. He, he, they used to call him the monster. He, he was the DeMarcus Ware of college football when he was coming out. But there were a number of questions about the rest of the package. And when the Giants got him in the third round, they were thrilled thinking, look at this dominating skill set. He will destroy this league. He will beat DeMarcus Ware. Well, guess what? The rest of that stuff turned out to overcome his talent and his skill, and he's been on, what, three or four different teams now. different teams, yeah. And Made never has amounted to much in the league because all of the other stuff suffocated that incredible talent that he brought to the field. To me, he's the poster boy for taking a risk because Austin, 
Austin also had a little bit of medical stuff, too. Well, of course, It wasn't yeah. just the Correct. There were a variety of factors. I guess I was looking at had. it. Austin was around earlier. He so was. So that's, I guess, how I was looking. But listen, Moore fell to the third round. They still felt that there was upside. First just round pass rushing talent. There was no question yeah. about that. There was no question about that. And look what happened to him. All right, let's open up the phone lines. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. Matt is in Rhode Island. He gets us started. What's happening, Matt? Hi. How we doing, Matt? Don't be shy. Matt is a man of very few words today, apparently. Hey, guys. There we go. All right, Matt. How we doing? (laughs) Let's rock and roll, baby. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'll make it quick. Uh, You know, two things. I mean, this thing's obviously everybody that's just kind of consuming our minds here. Um... I've, well, I've thought for a long time, kind of like you, Paul, I thought the Giants would trade down, but I but I actually don't think they're going to. And I think the main reason why is two, two factors kind of killed the trade down. Go ahead. First being the Jets being one of the top six teams. You can say whatever you want. Whatever the Giants would have requested to drop from two to six, they're going to ask for a little extra when dealing with the Jets. It's just not a good business move for them to try to – potentially give the Jets their star quarterback. It'd be, it'd be kind of in their face for a long time. And, and the second is the Broncos getting that five, uh, getting Keenum. Yeah. They're not really desperate to move up. You're right. Um, to, to, from five to two. So now the Giants are kind of like, who are the legit trade partners? It's the Dolphins who, you know, you're going to 11. They don't have a, a, a dearth of picks to give up. And it really leaves Buffalo. And I just, I just don't know that the Giants are going to be able to sell the idea of going from two to twelve, with without at least getting three first-round picks as the starting conversation is kind of you've always said, Paul. So I think honestly they're going to stay put at two, and I'm not sure it's the right idea, but I feel like Barkley's going to be a Giant next. Yeah, I, I started to get the feeling at the Combine from talking to people there that there was not going to be enough of a demand based on what was going to happen in free agency with the quarterbacks who were available, plus the quarterbacks class, and then given the fact that there were only X number of teams that were going to be desperate enough to make the move, that the Giants could not get the proper price to make the trade. So that's when at the Combine in Indy, I started to shuffle my thinking and saying, look, the trade would be awesome, but I don't think it's going to happen. Assume they're going to have to make the pick at two. What do you focus in on? And that's where I've now gotten to. Again, if someone gives them Fort Knox, you got to take it. But I don't think they're going to get Fort Knox, so I'm on board with you. And, and I've said since the combine, my order is Barkley, Nelson, Chubb. Nelson and Chubb, uh, that's like splitting hairs. Barkley clearly is the guy for me if they get to make that pick at two and Cleveland doesn't take the running back. Well, there's going to be plenty of options at two. I mean, that I think is very clear. I I disagree, though, Matt, with your perspective that, you know, if the Giants traded with the Jets, they'd have to worry about the court of public opinion. You do, at the end of the day, what's good for your organization. You can't worry about the Jets. Yeah, but the Jets have nothing to give them after they traded with the Colts. But but I'm just just saying that the, the fear can't be... Well, if we move spots to where the Jets are, the Jets take a player, and then that player turns out to be good. No, well, that's what I'm saying. No, that no, shouldn't but they play. don't. They don't have the price. Yet. They don't have the price. No, no. But he was talking about back when they were in their original oh, spot, and right. they made. Well, move. it doesn't that's matter. Reality doesn't. is, they don't yeah, have the price it to it give them that. It does matter. The, 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 the Giant. The, I'm I'm the customer. I'm the New York Giants customer. It totally matters. You think Giant fans would be happy? If they traded Peyton Manning yeah, to but, the Jets, but they Matt, would never Matt, hear the end. Yeah, but here's the thing: the, Jet, the, the Jets don't, the Jets no longer have the picks to meet the price no, I, anyway, I so that. it's I irrelevant. That. But, but Matt, at the time when, when, the, well, when the process first started, but that's not now. Well, they were at six. It was not a good trading partner for the Giants. Well, it, but but well, now it's, it's, it's irrelevant. I mean, but first of all, it depends uh, on uh, what would have been offered. But but to your point about that, you're the Giants customer, and therefore everything has to be done to please you. I mean, to me, is a close-minded school of thought, that. though. No, he didn't say that. Well, no, but he was sort of alluding. He's talking that. about he's, he's talking about the happy. fan base. The, the fan base would not be happy with that. I get it. Well, I but 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 here's the thing: no matter most moves, there's always going to be a polarizing factor. There's going to well, be fans that love it. Yeah, but when it's your in-city rival, it's a it's a bigger yeah, deal. Yeah, but but I, I just it's I just okay. don't I just don't Go think ahead. you could any team can't worry about what another team is going to do if they move spots. Not Why just are we the Jets. talking about this? Well, I'm talking about anything though. If you move down to 12, right, and the Bills move up hypothetically, and the Bills take a player at two, and then that player turns out to be great, 
the Giants obviously would have made that move because they feel that would have helped them in the long run. So you can't look at it in a narrow lens is what yeah. I'm talking about. That's, that's my point. That's correct, Lance. That's my point. They, they don't share a building with the Buffalo Bills. They have to yeah, – the but... if you're seven years old right now and the Jets get the next big quarterback – that's a that's a, a generation we're, of people that can grow to be Jets. We're, we're talking so, about. We do have to consider those. It's things. a hypothetical that's irrelevant because it's not reality. But I understand your point. The point is, yeah. it's hypothetical, so it doesn't matter. Now I'm going to ask ahead. one last question. I'm sure. Hang up. Sure. If they do go Barkley at two, yes. Right, and I think that's. I have my reservations, but it's easy to get excited about the idea of him in the backfield with Beckham and Ingram. I almost feel like at that point, you double down, and now you have to go over. Of course, you know you don't just reach, but like if there's good value there at the top of that second round, you have to take an offensive line here and kind of almost go all in there and almost kind of give Eli no excuse to not have a good season to kind of evaluate where he is, too, moving forward now. Right. Uh, so just to kind of your thoughts on that, I appreciate you guys taking my call. No question. Uh, and, yes, I, I do, do got to get back to work. I agree, right. I agree with you. I agree with you. Uh, but it's not just because of need, it's also because of value. We know, we know, based on the general consensus, that there are a number of guards, late first round, early second round values. So the value will match up to the Giants' need. They certainly need another offensive lineman, uh, and, and you know whether it's a guard or a tackle, they certainly need another offensive lineman, and we know that the guard value is right in that neighborhood for, for guys who are quality prospects behind Nelson. Again, Nelson's the top guy. Yeah. There's tremendous separation to the next group. But the next group is a solid meatloaf of, of guys. Depending if some of those guys fall to the high second round. I mean, that's still the mystery. You know, a guy like Hernandez, for example. There is a thinking that there will be, certainly Price is going to be there after getting hurt at the Combine. You know, we've heard, we've had the Ohio State guy on. All systems are go for him. He'd be ready for training camp. But after getting hurt at the Combine, he lost some spots probably. Um, You know, there are going to be guys there at the top of the second round for the Giants who will have appropriate value. So I'm with you 100% on that. I'd be disappointed if they drafted Barkley at two and did not get an offensive lineman at the top of the second round. I'm telling you that right now because I think the value and the need fit. And when that happens, you take it. I think it would also be interesting to see what happens with, I mean, if you just project the offensive line right now, Paul, you've got Omame and you got Jerry potentially at both guard spots. So, I mean, Gettleman may say to himself, he's got potentially the two guards locked in in terms of the starters. So now the question is, what does the depth chart look like? That, I think, could be the mindset entering the draft. There are two other positions. If the Giants take Barkley at two, let's take running back out of the mix. There, there are two other positions besides offensive line where there is a very strong chance that there will be appropriate value at the top of the second round where they could get a guy that would help immediately. That is cornerback okay. because we know there are a lot of corners in this draft. Okay. You could argue they could get one of the top of the third round, too, to be quite frank with you. There are that many of them, all right? And the other spot is outside linebacker. There are some definite outside linebackers who should be there at the top of the second round who could help them right away. So you're right. Gettleman will have a few options there if he is putting the need component you know, a little higher and says, well, you know, we really could use another corner. We really could use an outside linebacker. He could. He could do that. But at the same time, I I suspect that the value and his love for the Hogmollies would probably push him more to the O-line, and I certainly subscribe to that philosophy. No, I don't disagree with you. It's just I'm also going back to, and, you know, there's only so much stock you can put into when you go back to what he did in Carolina. He took the defensive lineman high. The offensive lineman more in the middle area. Not That doesn't mean that he's going to follow that same philosophy here. And the other thing that I would throw in, if you take Barkley out of the number two spot, running back would be in play high in the second round for the Giants in terms of value. Well, if you don't take Barkley. If you don't take Barkley, I'm saying. I'm, I'm, I'm switching that. If Barkley's not number two, then you could argue you could definitely get a running back. Well, here's the good news. Second round. We know the Giants need, in no particular order, offensive line help, corner help, linebacker help, 
and running back help. Keep and they could, e- they could even kind of use another wide receiver, to be honest with you, too. But the four key priorities, there's depth in all four of those spots. There will be options. In this draft, yeah. where you could get all four of those spots. Remember, you got two third-round picks now because you traded JPP. You could go, if you wanted to, hypothetically, and again, I understand value, positional need, best uh, uh, guy available. I get all of that stuff. But you could wind up having the appropriate value where you wind up taking one at each one of those four positional needs in the first three rounds with your four picks. That's absolutely possible. All right, let's head back to the phone lines, 201-939-4513. Mike's on Long Island. Mike, what's happening? Hi, guys. How are you doing, going? Hi. What do you got for us? We're animated today. I I just want to talk about the draft here. And uh, I'm I'm thinking, you know, like a lot of other people, that if uh, Donnelly gets passed up on number one, which I doubt, then I think the Giants would uh, go for him. Donnelly? Uh, You mean Donald? uh, Let me just say this. I would prefer that not to happen. I'd rather make the trade with Buffalo. I'd rather get the two first-round picks from them and two second-round picks, and then maybe, hopefully, a first-round pick next year. And with that... Well, they only have one second-rounder, though, Buffalo. Well, I guess I maybe a second-rounder second for the next year. I'm um, looking here. Buffalo has number 53. Oh, and 56. I, I forgot about 56. 53 and 56. Those are both in the second half of the second round. Okay, so let me just finish here. So you okay. want to take you want to take two firsts from them. They're two seconds, and next year's first. That's right. Okay. okay. I, and, hey, and, I'm good and, with that. Th- and uh, this is what I would do. Okay, uh, I would take uh, the Notre Dame tackle at number McClinchy. twelve. Okay. And I I'm would with you. Um, kind of think about taking. A quarterback at 22, and that would be uh, the guy from Louisville. Lamar Jackson. Yep, he's a dynamic guy. But, you know, I'm not, you know, I think of Michael Vick, not really, you know, a Michael Vick fan, but he's got a lot of dynamics to him, okay? Uh, And somewhere in the second second or early third round, and uh, you guys never talk about this guy, and I don't understand why, uh, Kerrigan Johnson from Carry on Johnson? No, we did. We recently did a spot. We, we were yes, talking yes, a lot about him. Yes, yeah. but you guys uh, didn't really spend enough time on this guy. I think we asked this at least two or three right questions down. on him. Yeah, I mean, he's like a DeMarco Murray-esque type of running back. You know, he'll right, right downhill runner, very strong, no doubt about it. Uh, but, you know, you have to understand there's a lot of running backs that I would yes. put in that second, third tier. So I, I don't think you could go wrong with a lot of these guys because there's a lot of similar traits and a lot of right. upside. But, yeah, right. I mean, we, we definitely uh, do, focused on Kerry do, Johnson. Do you see a lot of uh, Bell of Pittsburgh in him? Because I do. A little. I think Le'Veon Bell, if I recall, was brought up as a comparison when we were focusing on Kerry Johnson. But I look at him more as a downhill guy as opposed to the shifty yeah, guy like Le'Veon I, Bell. I agree. I, I don't know if that's necessarily the fairest comparison. Right. Uh, one other question for you, though. Um, uh, have, have you guys noticed a quarterback named... Mike White, I saw him yes. at the uh, Shrine game. Yes, I and, saw it. He had a great and, game. Yeah, he had a great game, and he was uh, his uh, accuracy was was unbelievable. He was very good that day for Western Kentucky. So, yeah. So, what do you think about him in the, uh, the later rounds? Well, I, listen, there's no crime in taking a quarterback in the later rounds, but now we're going back into the territory. You took Davis Webb in the third round, so now you're going to bring in another quarterback in the late round. I mean, all you're doing is just adding competition. I, I don't know necessarily if that's improving your chances to find Eli's successor. I mean, the whole goal is the higher you pick a quarterback, in all likelihood, the more likely that guy pans out. But there's no crime if they feel he's good value in that spot. You bring him in, and he's additional competition. Okay, just want to throw out a name to you as a wide receiver from South Dakota State. And uh, I saw him at the Combine, and his hands seemed to be very good. Big guy, Jake Wenicky. Paul, have you followed him at all? I believe, yeah. Hold on a second. Let me see. I think I have him in my, in my notes. I did over 200 players this year, the most I've ever done before. Which, And let me tell you something, my eyes are shot. 
<laughs> uh, let me see. What did I write down about him? I'm pretty sure I have him somewhere in my in my notes here. Wenicky, Wenicky, Wenicky. Oh my goodness, do I have him? Well, I, I have don't him know. in terms of his size. He's six four. So, I mean, that's obviously one of the most appealing things that jumps yep, out to him. I got him. But he has struggled through injuries, so that's a, a bit of a red flag. Yeah, I got him here. What did I write down for him? I wrote down here uh, he had an off-the-field issue, uh, which somebody will have to investigate if they're going to deal with his film. Then I wrote down level of competition was an issue. Uh, his quickness off the line was questionable. Uh, looked like he had concentration lapses in catching the football. Uh, would have trouble against press coverage. What did I like? He was physical. I liked his frame. I liked his hands. But, uh, you know, those uh, he's, he's a late, late third-day third pick for me. Yep. He'd be, he'd be, he'd be strictly a gamble. He's, he's, he's a shot-in-the-dark kind of guy. I think he may even be an undrafted free agent, it to be absolutely honest. could be possible. I, I could see you bringing him into camp if you yeah. want to at least give him a shot. And I, I don't know that I'd, phone call, Mike. I don't know so I'd go higher than seventh round on him. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he's got the size. I think that's appealing, but the level of competition, well, the off-the-field issues. Yeah, that off-the-field you know, folder again, that's, that's, well, <laughs> that's another yellow and, flag. And as I pointed out, he also dealt with some injuries, specifically yep. his junior year, where he wasn't 100% Thank healthy. Thank you. So, thanks for Hey, thanks, guys. I really appreciate yeah, it. You got it. 201-939-4513. Let's hear from Scott in New Mexico. Scott, what's happening? Hi, guys. How are you doing? Hi, Hi. Scott. What do you got? A uh, couple of comments. I was very interested in the Gordy Rush conversation because I was a big uh, D-Day Chark uh, guy. I yeah. thought he was, looked great at the combine. He looked like he ran fairly precise cuts on all of his routes, so I was kind of surprised that he wasn't as high on DJ so far as not being a complete player. Uh, is that a correct assessment, do you think? Well, his his assessment was based on the fact that LSU is primarily a running team. Therefore, he hasn't had the full experience that many wide receivers would have in a pro-style offense. I mean, he hasn't run uh, you know, a million different routes there. That's not what they do with their right. receivers. So that doesn't mean he can't do it. It simply means that there's a bit of a learning curve he's going to have to use as he okay. becomes an NFL player. Uh, two questions I have about uh, athletes uh, or the guys on the team now. One I'm concerned with is the uh, or at least I heard a rumor that Landon Collins' injury may have to be corrected by surgery, which might keep him out another six to eight weeks. Was Is that accurate, or is that something that, that's just a rumor? Landon was quoted uh, the other day, I guess it was last week, as saying when he came in uh, last week when they reported for the strength and conditioning program, they found out that the forearm may not have healed correctly after the first procedure and that he was having some uh, second and third opinions yeah. and there was okay. a possibility that they would have to do another procedure on the arm but if so it would only keep him sidelined for about eight weeks which still would give him time to be ready for training camp okay and then my uh, last question that i have is one i know this is a voluntary workout period but I was kind of concerned that uh, one of the holdouts was Eric Flowers, and I don't know if the Giant management, if you have gotten any insight for them, or what are you, uh, either of your perspectives on uh, Eric Flowers well, holding out, because he's a key to uh, whether they're going to shift him to guard or he's going to play right tackle. So uh, does that influence, you think, Dave Gettleman's, final decisions or, is, or am I making too big a deal out of it? I'll let Lance answer but only first I want to say don't call him a holdout because he's not a holdout. He's no, under I didn't contract. call him a holdout. I just said he, he didn't attend the voluntary workout. Well, which... again, again, voluntary workout. <laughs> it's a voluntary I, I, workout. I love when <laughs> people say otherwise, but no, go, go ahead. Well, Scott, I, I, first of all, I mean, that's all based on reports. I mean, the Giants don't reveal who's here and who's not here. I, I know that Pat Shermer did say Odell Beckham was here when he yes. was on the conference call. Other than that, he did not go through the entire roster. He just said he felt that just about everybody and was you, here. And you know That's what? One. Just as a matter also of clarification, uh, sure. because the uh, off-season program is voluntary, uh, you know, to then say somebody was or was not here and start taking attendance that makes it seem like it's mandatory. So Correct. teams usually don't right. comment exactly. well, on who is in and who's not in. And the media only gets to be on the premises a handful of times during the off-season program. Yeah. So just because a writer 
has not reported that a guy is here or not really doesn't mean much because they're not here to see it. Right. So, so make uh, let me just make that clear to you. Yeah, that I okay. mean that's another key component. I mean with respect to, you know, we always have this conversation every single year at this time of the year to just emphasize in the CBA it specifically says voluntary, but yes. players still get put under the magnifying glass because it's almost like they're expected to be here despite the fact that it is voluntary. I will right. say this, there's a lot of players that do choose to work out on their own or work with specialists, Scott, right. during the course of this period. Meaning, uh, if you're a defensive lineman, maybe you have a defensive guy that you utilize in the offseason. If you're an offensive lineman, there's, you know, Charles Bentley, I know, is a guy they that runs... They go to runs, these camps. Correct. They go to these camps. They work with various coaches, gurus, and so forth. So, I mean... Paul and I are not necessarily privy to the conversations that individual players are having with management, but when you hear these reports of a guy's not here or a guy's not there, we don't know what communication they had with the front office and and whether or not they've been up front and said, hey, listen, I understand it's voluntary. I have this type of setup in the offseason. I have family in this area. I've arranged to work out with this individual, and maybe the team approves it, or maybe the team says, listen, can you do half with that person, do half with us? I mean, I don't know what type of conversations occurred with respect to specific players, but I think it's important to know that there are players that choose to maybe not be here during the voluntary period, but that doesn't mean they're sitting on the couch eating Doritos and watching television. (laughs) I I guess that's my bigger point. And, Scott, just one other factor I I want to mention to you because it's a matter of information and it's also a matter of being fair uh when when lance is talking about how guys you know can choose to be elsewhere well the first two weeks of the offseason program are strictly strength and conditioning yeah the right. guys go into the weight room and they're doing strength and conditioning things they're not allowed okay they're not allowed to do any football function on the field with the coaches yeah they're not now let's just say that a particular player has an off an off-site school or tutor that he is going to where he can actually do football activity with that guy at his camp or at his school you could certainly make an argument while a coach would always want his players to be here as much as possible because it helps team chemistry and it helps familiarity with what's going on I get all of that but if a player truly needs the physical coaching on the field he's going to get more of that if he's off-site, then he will on-site because, be able to do because the CBA yeah. won't let these guys get coached on the field during the off-season. Right. This is why the CBA is so screwed up. And, and here, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing I'll throw out, Scott. And, and I okay. bring this up all the time. I know right now this is all we have. We're still far removed from the start of the season, so we focus right. on attendance and this and that. When was the last time we talked about a guy that was here or wasn't here at workouts and that impacting? what actually occurred when it's week five or week six of the NFL regular season. No, the reason I bring that up is, and I'll give you an example, Odell Beckham last year, you know, he was out in Los Angeles for right. part of the voluntary work, and then he did come for the mandatory stuff. But are we going to say that the Giants offense struggled last season because Odell Beckham wasn't here for every single part of the yeah, phase yeah. of the offseason workouts? You know what I'm saying? I mean, right now yeah. it's something to talk about. But in the big picture of things, I don't know if you could show me a study that says guys that are not here with their teams wind up hurting their teams once we get to the middle of the season. Right. Well, so, I appreciate the insight, yeah, guys. Uh, as I Scott. said, I was just curious about it and uh, just wanted to see what your perspective was. Well, you thanks you for asked, and we tried to deliver yeah. complete information. And appreciate the phone call. Thanks so much for weighing in. And you brought up an interesting point. What I think a lot of people may not realize, Paul, it's a nine-week off-season workout and program. And it's broken into stages. Three phases. So nine total weeks, three phases. First phase is strictly conditioning work. You're not even, I mean, you're allowed to look out the window at the grass, but you can't step on it and touch it. I mean, you get away with that more than they do. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. The only thing they can do, again, are strength and conditioning drills within their units. You know, the little types of drill that they can do, like their foot drill or their their hand drills, they can't do any football stuff. They're mostly in the weight room. I mean, that's where 99% of the stuff is being done. Honestly. It would be a bigger deal if a guy missed parts of the offseason program if, if the coaches were allowed to actually get on the field with them and do stuff. Go over technique and all of these other things. You know, I'll be honest with you. I could understand 
when some of these guys say, you know what, I'm better off going to a, a, a school or a tutoring program because they're going to let me get on the field and learn techniques, hand-to-hand combat, so to speak. Yeah. I can understand if a player felt that way, and I bet you there are a lot of coaches who don't want to maybe admit it, but under their breath they're like, hey, you know what, you probably are better off if you go out there <laughs> because you know, you're going to learn some things I can't teach you. Yeah, getting more physical activity on a daily basis than just, I mean, you're, listen, you're, you're helping strengthen by doing. yourself by working out, but you're not going to be sitting on the line working on hand techniques and all of those other things. And it goes against the coach to say, look, I'd rather have you stay away. It goes against the coach's yeah. uh, well-being or his own uh, blood thinking to do. But I would not be surprised if there are some coaches over time who have kind of under their breath said, look, I really don't want to tell you this, but you probably are going to learn a lot more if you go to that school out in Montana than you are if you come here for the first couple of weeks of <laughs> the, the offseason program. Or the shack in Montana where you huddle well, around. No, no, just, I'm with you. I'm with you. You know, this, this is part of what's wrong with the National Football League, okay? These are collectively bargained deals, the labor agreement. This is what people have come to terms with. But guess what? It has hurt the quality of play and the development of players. Those are the facts. It's eaten in, in it's eaten into the most important part of the season, which is the offseason, where guys look to get better and teams also look to get better. With that being said, let's head back to the lines. We're gonna go overseas. Let's check in with Jason in Denmark. Jason, what's happening? Hey, what's going on, Lance? How Hi. you doing? Doing all right, Jason. How things with you? What do you got for us? Oh, everything's going great, man. Hey, I first have to apologize to you all. And a great closing of that interview is the reason why. Um, when you were interviewing that last guy, the guy that talked about the last player, and you were saying that he was saying that he had motivational problems, you know, I'm, I'm here at work, I'm working, I'm like, why are we spending time on this? We have a locker room where there were issues with motivation on the field and so on, apparently, and, and I'm like, why are we even talking about this? But the way you all closed that interview basically changed my whole mind on what I was thinking, so I have to apologize for kind of mentally no going y'all for spending <laughs> so much time on Listen, on, you, on that your player. mental thoughts, you don't have to apologize for them. That's fine. No worries. We just okay, thought it was and, interesting uh, to hear well, from guys that have upside but may not have been able to tap you into You know what? It. Honestly, it's our job to give you the most complete picture possible, to give you all the angles of the prism, and then you can interpret or analyze however you wish and come up with whatever opinion you want to. So you're more than welcome. Cool. Okay, and uh, Saquon Barkley, I feel that we should take him, and all for selfish reasons, of course. I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about. I can just see those uh, Giants Dallas games. Uh, I can see those jerseys flying off the shelf. You know, I, I can see so much upside on the business and and on the entertainment end of having a player like that on the team. And uh, you know, a lot of people don't talk about those things. So just as a you know just coming from me living all the way in Denmark, you know, and wanting some action. I'm like, oh, we should get Barkley, we should get Barkley, we should get Barkley. Uh, and my last, my last comment or question, um, Davis Webb, uh, Paul, I'm probably your age, and uh, I'm all old school, and I really like Webb also. Mm-hmm. And uh, last year, uh, you kept mentioning that he's working um, – you know, with the coaches, game after game, going through, you know, I don't know how much, what the number was. Before the games, the hours before the every game. Simulated games. Yes, hours before every game going through the route tree. It was very impressive. Um, is there any way for fans to see some of that footage of him doing that? Or is that no, that happens before the gates are open at the stadium, so no fans ever get a chance to see that. And the only thing I can tell you is that is done by the giant film crew. They they do tape that stuff because the coaches and Davis want to go over it afterwards. But that stuff is in-house and never available to the public. And that's why I, I tried to tell you folks all during the course of the season, you know, wear your eyes and ears. And, and right, so right. We're, we're, we're trying to tell you, hey, this is what's happening. I know you can't see it, you can't hear it, you can't feel it and touch it, but this is what's going on. So, um, no, I'm sorry. There's really nothing I can do for you in that regard. But I will tell you this. I mean, you're from Denmark, and I think it's a long way to come to training camp. But if you get to the States, you might want to visit <laughs> oh, practice. No, it's pretty fun. Hey, Paul, I'm from New York. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's got ties to the States. Don't get it twisted, yeah. Paul. Okay. I just live over here because my wife's Danish. Oh, okay. Well, please get out to training camp and see a practice, and don't forget to say hi. It's fun. 
Okay. Well, I'll, I'll call you all again soon. Thanks for taking right, my Jason, call. You got it. Appreciate the phone call. And, and two <laughs> lessons, Jason. You never have to apologize for your mental thoughts that you haven't vocalized. And number two, never age yourself and date yourself on this show by comparing yourself to Paul Dettino. <laughs> so those are two no-nos for the future when you call back in. <laughs> <laughs> although, although there are those who have mentally wanted to deep fry me in oil because I'm not taking a quarterback at two, and I don't think the Giants are. But whatever. Well, those individuals are more than happy to call in, I should say. <laughs> With that being said, let's head back to the phone lines. Len is in Columbia, Maryland. Len, what's happening? Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, Len. Right, Len. Okay, okay. Uh, listen, first off, I want, to, I want to talk about the draft, but let me, just as an introduction, um, I, I agree with everything the Giants have done in this offseason, starting from the hiring of Gettleman, the coaches, the assistant coaches, the trades, the free agency, the guys who they disinvited back. I mean, I'm in agreement with everything they've done. Boy, boy, you look at this roster. We need a lot of work. We need a lot of help. I mean, um, you know, this number two pick, there are four guys to me who, unless you're really nitpicking, unless you're really nitpicking, can help us out. And they come clean. Off-field issues, no off-field issues, no injury issues. Barkley, Chubb, Nelson, and Fitzpatrick. Any one of those guys makes us better on opening day. And for me, that's what I'm looking for. I don't think we've gotten better in this offseason. I don't think we've gotten better. I think it's the draft that's going to make the difference. And I think those four, first four picks have got to be people who by midseason are all starting. Paul, you, you talked about that second pick. I think it's got to be an offensive lineman also, it, unless we pick Nelson in the you know with the first pick, uh, which I, I'd be okay with, really. I want Barkley, but I'd be okay with any of the four guys. Um, I think there's going to be a run on interior guys, picks 25, 26 through us. I'm hoping we can get one of those top Six or seven guys. I mean, Daniels, Hernandez, Price, um, Ragnow. I see those as the four top guys. Those are the guys I want. I hope we don't have to somehow uh, trade a draft pick to try to get one of those four guys. What do you, what do you guys think? To what you mean? What move, I've said up to now. But when you say trade a draft pick, you talk about move towards the latter part of the first round. Is yeah, that yeah. what you're get referring the, to? Get into the top of the first and get a plug-in guy on opening day. Look, I'm all about 2018. You want to talk about 19 and 20? You got to talk to other callers. Well, Len, that, that's fine, but I, I still think that's a closed-minded perspective because the, the draft can't just be about 2018. I, I understand you're hungry, you want to win. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't disagree with you, but you can never look at a draft based on one year because that's okay. when you well, fall into a trap, and you well, just go Lance, based on the guy that I'm going to plug in. counter that, and I, yeah. look, you're, you're onto something there, and I, I agree. It's, 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 a, it's a point of view. It's a different point of view on my part. And you're but, entitled but to a different add, point of view. How many yeah. times in this offseason – have you guys, you know, the three or four main guys who have been on, how many times have you said it's a year-to-year -year league? It is why a year-to-year league, meaning things why are you drastically now change. Me about 2020? Well, I, I'm just looking at, yes, it's a year-to-year -year league because rosters turn over like crazy, but the whole point is if you draft a player, especially I would say in the top three rounds, Len, it's yes. fair to say that your goal is they're going to contribute through the duration of their rookie contract, that, I think, is a given. And I think the also big part of the goal is they're all going to warrant second contracts, meaning you're going to have a reason to re-sign them. If you don't have a reason to re-sign any of your top three picks in the draft, then I would say that I think you fell short. You don't, okay, you don't, you don't agree with that? No, no, I, I do. I do. I, I said, I, I mean, I think you guys have a point of view, or you, Lance, since I'm talking to you, have, have a point of view uh, from what, what you said has made made a lot of sense. I keep zeroing in on opening day. And, and I get uh, that. You know, linemen in that second round. Yeah, we got two three. We got two number three picks. Um, you know, D back wide receiver or wide receiver D back. Give us four guys who by midseason. You know, those first two picks starting on opening day. Um, and the other two, the D back and the. 
uh, wide receiver, maybe starting on opening day, but by, by, by midseason, that wide receiver is replacing Thomas Lewis. And that Roger D-back me, yeah. is a permanent part of the rotation. Uh, maybe in the slot, but as a permanent part of that rotation. Hey, guys, thanks for giving me the time. I really appreciate you got it, Len. it. I appreciate we'll talk the later as we get closer. It's an exciting time. Absolutely. Thanks for waiting, Len. Appreciate the phone call. And I get what he's preaching in terms of wanting a corner, for example, to come in day one, maybe be a slot guy, could start. But, I mean, keep in mind, the Giants did sign five new defensive backs. Yeah, so I, I do think that they, they have improved themselves um, in a number of different ways. I'm, I'm disagreeing with him there. But uh, having said that, uh, the philosophy that the Giants have right now is they're dealing with 18. John Mara has said he expects this to be a good team in 2018. Dave Gettleman has been mandated with that charge. That is the blueprint he has laid out. They have decided to keep Eli Manning partly because, not only because they think he's still a good player, but they also want to win sooner rather than later. So there's no doubt. When you look at this team, you look at the roster, you look at the contracts, the length of the contracts, the money that's being delved out in those contracts, this Giants team is going to try to do something in a two-year window. And that's just the bottom line. They're going to try to do something in the next two years. So, you know, we've had this conversation with Len before. I'm not interested in five and six years down the road right now. I'm not. It's a bonus if you can take uh, plans now and, and mesh them with what you need to get done in the next two years. That's a bonus if you can do that. But the priority right now is the next two to three years. What can they do to become a contender in that period of time? The next five, six, seven years, forget about it. That's, that's, that's on the back burner. That is secondary to me. I agree. But I think you can accomplish both. I, I don't think that's a stretch at all. You can. It's hard to do. But you can. There may be a little bit of overlap in there. There may be. But the truth of the matter is, you can't even tell me more than three or four guys who are on this roster today who will be on this team in the next six years. You can't. With well, any certainty at all. A lot of the defensive core is going to have expiring but, contracts but in just, a few years. You've just I sold get that. my point. You've just sold no, no, my no, point. No, no, I mean, I, I get that. But, but at the same time, you're always retooling your roster with draft picks. Because everybody is going to have contracts that are going to expire progressively. Okay, you don't want everybody walking out the door at the same time. Here, here we are. Have it staggered. Seven years from the last Super Bowl championship. Okay? And who's left? 53-man roster, plus practice squad guys, plus injured reserve guys. Safe to say they probably had like 65 guys under contract during the 2011 season. And who is left on this team right oh, now? Seven years is a long time in the NFL. Okay. Football. But, but – Eli Manning, Mark Herzlick, and Zach Diasi. That's it. Yeah, but so your... don't. So I'm sorry, I can't give you much priority on what you think may happen six or seven years. No, but from I'm now, not even because there may six... only be three guys but left I'm on not, the team. I'm not even talking six or seven years. If first of all, Eli Manning has a contract through 2019. Okay, so if you're operating in that two-year window, correct? You don't know what's going to happen after 2019. The guys I draft. They're all getting four-year contracts, and the first-round pick's getting a fifth-year option. Correct. That's beyond two years. So I'm, I could still think about, Paul, 2020, 2021, a little and 2022. Bit. A little bit. I don't think that's crazy. By, by, 2000, by 2022, 2021 even, you may not have more than six guys on this roster still here. I mean, it's, it's possible. The, the, it, the but turnover in this league is incredible. It is, but, it's but like you take core, the roster and you put it in a food processor. But the core, the core with the draft – is going to stay stable, or that's the goal that you want. That's back. the goal, and that's my point. That's the goal. You don't want to have the, in two the, years. The, the, the you bad get rid news of some is, of those guys. it hasn't been that way. Well, that's more of the, the reason why you have to think beyond two years. So now you're selling my point. <laughs> so we're Again, both, we're both you, selling each other's points. If you can merge price. it, it's hard yeah. to do. But if you can merge it, that's the best way to go. Okay. All right. With that being we're said, done. yes, appreciate all the phone calls, all the tweets. Be back up and running tomorrow on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We're going to be covering two schools. I believe it's Louisville and Central Florida that John and I will be tackling, and we're going to get more of your phone calls in as well as we continue the dialogue leading up to the draft. We want to thank certainly all of our guests over the last few weeks and all of our guests upcoming as we continue to inch closer to finally the Giants selecting somebody perhaps with the number two overall pick. For Paul Latino, <laughs> I'm Lance Benno. Enjoy the rest of your Monday right here on Giants.com. Have a good one.